Morning, everyone. Good seeing you all here this morning. I'm so heartened uh, that things are starting to maybe um, open up just a little bit. Our governor moved us from stage two to stage three, and that is hopeful in and of itself. I was talking to different ones about um, wearing masks and social distancing and all those things, and, and it was funny some of the replies that I was getting as things started to open up and people start to get a vaccine if that's what they want to do, or just the fact that maybe COVID is starting to decline a little bit. That is always something that is a good thing. And so someone said, you know, when this is all over with, maybe what we ought to do is have a mask burning party. And I, that could be a good thing. We'll do it on a Sunday evening devotional and each person can come forward and throw their mask in the fire and tell a little bit what they learned from the, from the pandemic. So someone else said that, you know, maybe what we'll end up doing when you, it's all said and done is we'll all discuss the fact that we all have bursitis in our elbows from bumping them to, with one another. But I'm just hopeful that things are starting to maybe slow up a little bit and we're going to be able to get in the fashion of really getting things reset in a real kind of way as we as a congregation continue on with our ministry and mission that we're supposed to be about as a congregation. So as you look at this picture behind me, you remember going out on this really great date. You've had this great day. You've got your hair all fixed up, and it's had, you've had a great day. And then you, you, you go to bed for the evening, and you get a really good night's sleep, and you wake up in the morning, and I'm, your hair is really in a mess. And I mean, I'm talking about a really bad uh, bed head. And so talk about needing a reset. I mean, there's something that you need to do, go, to do about having that kind of hair. And so the question I thought to myself is, well, where do you begin with that? How do you fix a, a problem like that? And sometimes a reset begins by putting some curlers in your, your hair and trying to redo your hair on your, your own. Or if that doesn't work, then maybe what you need to do is maybe you need to go to a professional hairstylist and have them give you a reset or a redo of your hair. That's a little bit like my daughter's spa, uh, salon looks like if you were to go over to their place. So anyway, you know, there is this reset that is going on here. And so most women probably would agree, along with, with Butch, maybe Shelby, that one of the major priorities that you have as you begin your day is to reset things, to, you know, to reset your, your hair. Well, that's what we're talking about this morning is resetting our priorities. Not resetting our hair, but resetting the priorities that we as a congregation are to be about. The things that we're supposed to be doing as a body of believers. So the question might be, well, what exactly is priorities? Well, a priority is putting first things first. And if you were to give a definition to it, a priority is something, uh, is something or someone that requires precedence or rank or, or order or importance or attention. It's something that has to be there in line with everything. Priorities go along with our theme of resetting things. And so I've been talking to you about resetting different parts of our lives as Christians. And one of the things we talked about is resetting the script for our life. The world says there's one kind of strip, the script that says, here's what really is of first importance. Here's really what is the thing that you need to be about as a human being. Here are your values. Here is your, your code of conduct that you are to be living by. But God has another code of conduct. And God also sees things as more important than the world sees. And so as you think about those things, then God says, listen, I have a will for your life. And that will is revealed in my word. And that you're to live according to it. I'll set the mode, the code of conduct. I'll set the standard and the values and even what is to be of greatest importance in your life. 
And then we talked about resetting our purpose, and we learned that our purpose as a Christian, as well as a congregation, is that everything that we do, we're to give glory uh, to God, that we are to magnify him and, and lift him up and to show him off in everything that we do in life. And then last week, I talked to you about resetting our profile, and I shared with you, I think it was 10 traits or characteristics that should be a part of a Christian's life. That doesn't matter what your purpose is or what your priorities are. If your profile is not right, if people don't see our lives as being distinctively different from the world in which we live, that we are unique in the way we handle ourselves in things like importance and things like values and, 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 and standards, then all those things mean really nothing. So our profile is so important that if we haven't reset it, then we need to reset it and make sure that it is right and that we're living according to God's word that is revealed to us. Well, this morning, the next one is to reset our priorities. And so when we talk about resetting our priorities, why is that important? Well, the reason why priorities are important is because our priorities reveal to us how we're to go about glorifying God in our individual lives. It reveals how we're to go about glorifying God as a congregation. And so priorities are extremely important to who we are and what we are as a body of people. The question would be then, well, what exactly is the church's priorities? And you might recall when we started going down through the purpose and profile, we talked about Socrates, and we said that Socrates was not known as a wise man because he had the right answers, but because he asked the right kind of questions. And so we as Christians, we shouldn't just dumb down and accept things the, the way they are because we have traditionally done them. We need to step back and ask ourselves some why questions, and not only some why questions, but some what questions. And so what is the church's priorities? Well, let me invite you to open your Bibles, if you would, over to Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42 and going down through 47, we see some patterns that are laid out for us. And in this section of Scripture, it reveals to us, at least in my mind, four major priorities for any local assembly that comes into existence. These priorities are, are timeless. They are cross-cultural. They fit into any congregation, no matter their size, whether they are a very small congregation or whether they were to be a mega, a mega congregation. These priorities are set as a pattern for us to uh, live by. Uh, they are specific avenues. They are channels. They are ways in which we, we, we uh, carry out our purpose in glorifying God. So priorities are extremely important to who we are. So as you talk about Acts, the second chapter, Acts, the second chapter is so important when it comes down to the major priorities. So as I read down through this, see if you can pick out these priorities. You recall that as Peter preached the gospel sermon on the first day of uh, first Pentecost, uh, or the first day of the church, which was on Pentecost, you recall that he preached this sermon where he talked about Jesus, about his death and his burial and his resurrection. And he basically said that the reason Jesus died on the cross because of the sins of the people there, and the people, it says, were pricked in their hearts. And they asked the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And you recall that Peter responded to them by commanding them each to be baptized to repent and each of them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and that they'd receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
He didn't stop there. In verse 4, he says he continues to encourage them. He encourages them to move away from this sinful world and to come to Christ. And then in verse 41, we learn that over 3,000 people were obedient to that command and were baptized into Christ. Then we find out something about these new believers, this new church that came into existence, uh, what they did. Notice beginning in verse 42 as we read. And they, that is these 3,000 plus Christians, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who, were, who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions, and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and simplicity or sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. In this short section of Scripture, and primarily, well, in verse 42 you'll find some priorities that are laid out for us that I think are very specific. And the first one is that of worship itself. In fact, look at verse 42. And they were continually devoting themselves or were steadfast uh, themselves in the apostles' teaching, some say doctrine, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to, to prayer. The word devoted here is, is a great word. Like I said, it sometimes is translated steadfast. But it is a word that means a single-minded fidelity. These people knew that after they had become Christians that there was a commitment or a loyalty or a fidelity that was now to be directed toward the God of, of heaven. And so to them, worship was not a half-hearted kind of exercise or, or effort. Uh, the early church was one that was intense with their worship. And you'll see this later on because it says that they were going to the temple almost every day. That was their practice as Jews. Their practice was to glorify God. The temple was a place where you met, and it didn't stop after they became Christians. They continued with this devotion, and they continued to worship God and to pay homage to him. And I can say to you that it was probably something that was intense. It was something that was demonstrative, and they just didn't show up in church and just go through the motions. There was a beautiful simplicity in the fact that they were breaking bread and, and prayer. The breaking of bread here, I believe, is talking about the Lord's Supper. And the reason why I believe that is because when you compare it to Acts, the 20th chapter in verse 7, where Paul is returning from his third missionary journey, he's headed back to Jerusalem. There he says that he gets to Troas early, and it says that he remains there for six days so that he might be with them on the first day of the week for the purpose of breaking bread with them. The Lord's Supper became a central focus or a central part of what the worship was about. And as Jared so eloquently shared with us about the Lord's Supper, how it, was, it causes us to remember Jesus' death on the cross, that he died for our, our sins. And as he rose from the grave, give an impact to the fact that he had become the sacrifice for our sins. It became a, a huge moment in the lives of the Christian, and especially on that first day of the week when they came together to focus primarily on Jesus and his death for our sins. 
And prayer became a huge part of what the service was about. Prayer was a time where we offer our praise and our adoration to God. But not just that, it's also when we lift up our supplications to God and we give our thanks to God. And maybe we even confess our sins before God, but it becomes a central focus of what our worship is about. Later on, I'll share with you, there's more to that than just that. We already know that we've, uh, I'm up here preaching, we already know that we've spent some time singing songs that we gave of our means. Those are all avenues or channels of worship as well. But the simplicity of it is in, in, incredible. It also says that there was this awe. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Their worship was one that had a profound reverence for what God was about. When you think about those words, everyone kept feeling a sense of, of all. <clears throat> the Greek, <clears throat> excuse me, literally means, and they came and came to every soul fear. That word awe is the word phobos. It's where we get the English word phobia from. The fear of spiders or the fear of height or the fear of public speaking. It's a word that means fear, it means terror, it means dread. It means to understand the awesomeness of God, to be in awe of God. Not just amazed about God, but this awe that has this fearful reverence of who we are, are dealing with. And so one, anyone who truly worships the God of, of heaven, they possess a really healthy and awesome respect for the Most High, the Most Holy God, who He is, that He's so far above us, and yet that He's mindful of us, and that He is the one who sustains us, that He is in control of the very breath that we breathe. In fact, the only thing that separates you from a dead person is the fact that you are now breathing and are one breath away from death. God is, is sustaining all of that in our lives. The Bible says Jesus sustains the universe it, itself. When you think of them in that kind of a place for us to come into his presence as sinful people and that God wants us to worship him and desires for us to worship him is incredible in and of itself. And so there should be this healthy respect or awe of him. Notice every day they continued to meet together in the temple court. That was their, their practice. Uh, they, they looked forward to the worship of, of God. And it suggests to me a unity of, of worship. There was a gladness and simplicity about it. So worship really was something that was basic. And the attitude was that of gladness. I like what David said when he says, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. A place of worship, a place where we come into a contact with, with God. And it was basic. There wasn't a lot of frills around what worship is about. It's a very simple kind of channels or means or avenues to give ourselves to God. It's not a, a time for it to be a concert. It's not a time of, of entertainment. It's not about having contemporary worship or having traditional worship or, or, or having, you know, concert worship. It's about worshiping God in simple ways that reflect our hearts and our attitudes to the God of, of heaven. And after you have worship, after we have worshiped God, there should be a sense of feeling clean and fresh as we go from here and into our, 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 our next week. 
like taking a shower after a hard day's work to come to worship and to be reminded through the Lord's Supper that our sins have been washed away and that God is in heaven enjoying our, our worship, enjoying our, our hearts, enjoying our songs, our, our prayers, enjoying the fact that we have celebrated around this, the Lord's table. So resetting our commitment to in-person worship as things start to go back to more normality, I hope that those of you who are at least watching online will be thinking about when are you going to be able to start coming back and worshiping with us uh, in, 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 in an in-person worship with the understanding that obviously there are those who feel still at, are in the at-risk categories and that there are those who just don't feel comfortable right now getting out in, into public. But as things start to open up, I hope that we'll be thinking about that, about um, the times when we can start getting back together with one another, to be in person with one another, and to worshiping one another. Remember, we're talking about resetting things, okay? And so this is not a guilt trip. This is a reminder just that we reset things. And, and if you become even lax about your worship at home on, online, that maybe you might even reset that commitment, but get ready to reset as things begin to, to open up more floors, hopefully in the near future. Here's a second priority, the priority of instruction. Notice verse 42 again. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching or through the apostles' doctrine. One of the things you'll learn about the first century church was that not only were they a worshiping community, they were a learning congregation. They were a learning community. The word of God was important to them. They were hearing new revelation that was different from what they had learned all their lives out of the old covenant. And so now new information is coming to them. They're learning new things. So it says they are devoted to the apostles' teaching. If you read between the lines, what you'll find there is that there was something worth listening to that there was a lot to be learned. There was something to believe in. And there was a body of truth which they were committed. And that's the same for us today. I know that you're saying, thinking to yourself, you know, we've heard so many sermons over the years. We've been to so many Bible classes over the years. And that is so true. Uh, you have. But if you're like me, uh, you know that you only know just a small amount of what is in the scriptures. I mean, I study it almost every day, and I'm here to tell you that I feel in so many ways that I've just kind of scratched the surface of what there is to know, and so there's always more need of instruction. In fact, that's part of what the church is about as a priority, and we need to be committed uh, to that. So what are the benefits? Well, one of the marks, I think, of a healthy, a growing church is a consistent, a faithful instruction of the Word of God. So notice some of the benefits that are behind me. To be, uh, to be right with God. How do you know how to become right with God unless you get into the Word of God? How do you know whether with the way we're worshiping is acceptable to God and is pleasing to God unless we're instructed by the Word of God? To serve God in righteousness, to govern our relationships. How are we to interact with one another? How are we to interact with those who disagree with us or those that maybe rub us in a wrong kind of way? How are we to be kind and compassionate and loving towards each other uh, to live godly in this life what's the difference between a godly life and an ungodly life what does the world look like what does god expect us to look like 
And how can we be saved eternally? How can you even know the plan that God has for us in terms of the, the, uh, the, the instruction to become Christians and the plan of salvation? How would you know that unless the word of God lays that out for, for us? So there are benefits and so many more. I could put a dozen other bullet points and hardly even have to give a lot of thought to it because of the benefits of knowing what the word of God is about. As one person saying that the Bible is basic instructions before leaving earth. And so we must always, I think, be mindful of the fact that the primary purpose of instruction is in order that we might give glory to God. And again, as we begin to open up things, there's going to be need, that, that need for that reset. For instance, on Sunday evenings, we have Bible class here. On Wednesday evening, we have Bible class here, in-person uh, Bible classes, where hopefully as we begin to open up, that we will be here and that we'll be present uh, physically to learn and to be with each other. In fact, that's what assembly is all about. I don't believe God ever intended for us to go it alone. I think Jesus said, I will build my church. He built the church for a purpose so that there might be this time together with one Another, which leads to the, the third priority, and that is fellowship. The need of being together with one another. The need of encouraging one another. When you talk about worship, when you talk about Bible study, our online services, our online classes are the second best thing, or maybe even the fourth best thing. The best thing is when you can be present where we are joined together because of encouragement and stimulation and the fellowship that we need. This word fellowship is a word that is, comes from the Greek word koinonia. It means to share. It means to participate. It means to commune with one another. So they were steadfast in their, their devotion to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Fellowship was a strong part of who they were. In fact, the early church, it was a caring flock. They, they weren't just churchgoers. They were all in when it came down to sharing with one another. Notice what it says there in verses 43 and 44, 45, I believe. There it says, and all those who had believed were together. They had all things in common, and they were selling their property and possessions, and they were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And if you were to look at Acts, the fourth chapter, verses 35, or 34 and 35, you'll see the exact same thing happen again. We're reminded once again that that's what they were doing. They were selling possessions and property and houses. Why was that? Because as later we're going to see, the church was growing and increasing in huge kinds of, of ways. And there were a lot of needs that were out there. And so these people were very intense about their sharing and bearing and caring for one another. They're willing to sacrifice as a group for one another. They were sacrificing time. They were sacrificing energy and, and effort. They were sacrificing their monetary possessions. They were a caring group. And that's a priority that I think we need to have as a congregation and that we need to maybe reset those things. Here's a fourth one, and that is evangelism. That shouldn't surprise you at all. 
when you think about that early church, the early church was constantly sharing their, their faith. I think they really took seriously Jesus' command to go and preach the gospel to all creation, to go and make disciples of all nations. They, they took that seriously. And by the time you get to Colossians 1 and verse 23, there it said the gospel had gone out into the entire known world. That's how effective they were in doing so. The more I read the, the book of Acts, which is the Acts of that first century church there, the more I read of that book there, I am amazed how often Luke comments on the growth of the church, which tells me that the church that day was a growing church. And several things stand out as the Lord is adding to their number daily, those who are being, being saved. There are two categories that, that seem to me to stand out. The first one is that the text speaks often of the word of God increasing and spreading. That's what was happening in the first century. It was incre the word was increasing, it was spreading exponentially. The text uh, the, talks about the number of disciples that were increasing let me just share some with you. I went down through them fairly quickly at home as I was preparing the lesson. But just when you talk about the word of God in, increased, look at Acts 6 and verse 7 says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. It was incredible. I don't know what happened there, but something happened there. So to the notes I go. Then you find Acts the 12th chapter. And ver, or Acts the 8th chapter and verse 4. Therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching the word of God. Remember Paul is, well, Paul is confronting the church and he's ravaging the church and they're scattered. Remember Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the world. Well, they, they weren't going anywhere. They're just hanging in Jerusalem. So God scatters them. And it says, when that church scattered, they scattered, spreading the, the, the word of God. Acts 12 and verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Acts 13 and verse 49. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the, the whole region. Or Acts 19 and verse 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevailed mightily. You see what's going on here? The word of God is going out there. That was the priority of the church. The number of disciples were increasing. Acts 2 and verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized, and they were added on that day 3,000 souls. 3,000 in, in, in one day, and it didn't stop there. As you get down to verse 47, it says, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Acts 4 and verse 4, but many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Acts 4, 5 and verse 14. And more than, and more than Eve ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Acts 6 and verse 1. Now on these days when the disciples were increasing in number, the church is growing. Acts 8 and verse 12. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the, and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized men and women alike it was i mean it was so important that they send down peter and john down to samaria because of the increase of the disciples there 
Acts 9 and verse 31. So the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. Acts 11 and verse 24. For he was a good man, speaking of Barnabas, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Acts 16 and verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in faith and they increased in number daily. After Paul had come back from his third missionary journey, they informed him that the church uh, was continuing to grow. You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe and they were all zealous for the law. You see, what, see what's going on here? That church was moving in that first century. They become a great example for us in the 21st century. They were steadfast in the preaching and the spreading of the old, old story, and God was giving them increase and blessing them. So it's so important that we get these things. So when you talk about what are the priorities of the church, well, it's worship and instruction and fellowship and evangelism. I guess I could have put a fifth one and said it's service, but I've talked a lot about that, it seems like, lately, so I thought I would save you that. But those are priorities of the church, and the way we can go about those things, well, there's a myriad of ways that we can do it. Even when it comes down to our, our worship, I, we talked about prayer and the, and the Lord's Supper but there's also giving, there's also singing, there's also the uh, preaching or the proclaiming of the word during a period of, of worship. And even those, there's no set way. When it comes down to the Lord's Supper, the emblems, the fruit of the vine and the unleavened bread, they'll always remain the same. They'll always mean the same thing. The bread represents the body of Jesus that was without any sin that was sacrificed for us. The fruit of the vine will always represent the blood of Jesus, which was poured out for the remission of our sins. But the thoughts that men come up with as they prepare our minds vary. Uh, as they look at the Lord's Supper and help us to focus in on that. The songs that we sing, they're different songs. Ephesians 5.19 there talks about the various kinds of uh, songs that are, are there for us. So we sing different types of, of, of songs. Even when it comes down to giving, we've learned through the pandemic that giving is more than passing a plate. We've learned there's a lots of ways to give of our, our means and our prayers. Well, they're not all one kind of a prayer. There's prayers where we give adoration. There's prayers where we confess our sins. There's prayers where we give thanks. There's prayers that we offer up our supplications. Those all happen in a moment of worship. Even instruction. We're told generally to instruct, but we're not specifically told how to go about it. We're to do it in spirit and in truth, but we use Bible classes to do that. We use these moments to do that. We use ladies' Bible classes, teen Bible classes. We do care groups. We do a lot of means that we go about the business of, of instruction. Fellowship is pretty well wide open. From fellowship dinners to the fellowship that we enjoy after service as we visit with one another, as we share of our means, as we have people into our house for meals, not so much now, but hopefully in the near future. Evangelism, specifically we're told to go and make disciples, go and preach the word, but we're not told where to go specifically or how to go. We're simply told 
to go. And so it's up to us to decide to, how we're going to do it, but we better be doing it. These priorities are not just busy to be busy. They're the ways in which we glorify the God of, of heaven. It's how we reveal our commitments and our loyalties and fidelity to God by carrying out these priorities. So it's not busyness just to be uh, busy. In 1851, uh, the Crystal Palace in Hyde Park in, in London was built. It was a huge, huge building. It built down in 1930, but in 1851 uh, was the first World's Fair the 1851 exhibition, and, and in, this, in these exhibitions that were going on there, there were incredible marvels that were there. They were celebrating the industrial age. In the industrial age, so many things were happening. People were gathering to these, this place in 1851. Over six million people came to this World's Fair. It's the first World's Fair, by the way. Six million people, the average, 42 to 60 plus thousand people every day at that fair. There are marvels all around them, and one of the key marvels of that age was steam. They had exhibitions for steam for everything. Steam looms, steam organs, steam plows, steam locomotives, even a steam cannon. All kinds of exhibitions were being showed at this place. It was an incredible uh, thing that was going on there. And one of the exhibitions that they had there was a steam invention. It had over 7,000 parts. And when they fired that thing on or turned that thing on, the pulleys began to move, whistles began to whistle, bells began to do what bells do. I mean, gears were turning. There was a, this incredible commotion and noise from this thing. The interesting thing about this first prize winner was this. It was a contraption that did nothing. It had no practical value whatsoever. All it did was did a lot of moving about and made a lot of noise, and it was impressive to people, but it wasn't worth a thing. The church can be like that. We can get so busy in our individual lives, we can be get, we get so busy doing this and that and chasing this and chasing that, that it's easy for us to forget our priorities and our purposes in life. As a congregation, we can get so busy doing things and in April, we're going to get busy doing things, but we shouldn't be doing things just to be busy. The busyness should have a purpose behind it and priorities that are committed to. And so making our priorities for the church or other church count means everything to us. As we look at least four of the major priorities that we have as a congregation, so it's time to reset. Maybe you have already set, but if you haven't, it's time to reset. And certainly that would be true of our individual response as Christians. So the message is yours and your response is yours as we stand and as we sing this song of invitation. Time.